Folks, welcome to lesson four of Life After Life. This is all about a very special topic, which we'll get to in a moment. So there, there's a story that there were two tailors talking to each other, and one tailor says to the other how much he's looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. It's like, can't wait. So the other tailor says, why? Like, what are you looking forward to? He says, can you imagine how many customers we're going to have? Are you kidding me? Resurrection of the dead, suddenly you have, you know, billions and billions of customers. So the first, so the other tailor says, he was a, a smart fellow. He says, wait a second. Yeah, okay, there will be more customers, but there are also going to be more tailors. So the other tailor says, yeah, 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 fine, true, but we know the latest styles. Ah, anyway, overheard, overheard. Linda, did I welcome you? I don't know if I welcome, I did. All right, welcome again. Listen, it's good to see you again. Um, so tonight's class is all about the resurrection of the dead. Um, we've discussed throughout the first three parts of the series, we talked about the act or the art of crossing over. We spoke about heaven and hell. We spoke about reincarnation. But I'll tell you one thing that's been a consistent given throughout this lesson is death. We've taken death for granted. We've taken death for granted as a reality that just is. You know the statement, nothing is as certain as death and taxes? I'll tell you a secret. You can get around taxes. If you have the right accountant, I'm not suggest. hold on. I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying, if you know the right people, there are ways around the taxes part. So when we talk about things being certain, death and taxes, yeah, I don't even know about taxes. But, but death, death is, uh, death we all consider to be a certainty. You might say that nothing is as certain about life as the fact that at some point, this, as we, at least as we know it, will cease to be. Um, but today we're going to question this very premise. We're going to question the inevitability of death and ask the question, is bodily death truly inevitable? Is it possible? for a human being to live eternally. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, science fiction, cloning. Yeah, we're maybe, give us a few years, we'll figure this out. I'm not talking about from a scientific, medical, technological perspective. I'm not talking about those um, cryogenics. Um, who, people freeze their head? Ted Williams? Did Ted Williams freeze his head? Am I wrong on that? He did, right? Just in case. I'll tell you, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I'm still a Pirates fan. I, I'm not sure how his head is doing, but it might be better than the last 30 years of Pirates baseball. I'm just saying, you can't get any worse, whatever. Okay, but notwithstanding scientific advancements, the question is, from a Jewish perspective, is there such a notion, a possibility of life that doesn't end or resurrection of the dead for that matter. So here are some questions we're going to address in tonight's class. So keep these questions in mind. We're going to talk about more topics than just these, but here are some core questions. Number one, is it possible to live forever? Theoretically. Number two, um, in other words, is it possible to live forever, i.e. for physical death to be abolished? We spoke about the soul living on for eternity. The question is about the body. Is it possible for the body to live on eternally? Is it possible for those who have passed on to once again rise, so to speak, from the ground and become back alive? Um, 
and will we then be reunited with our loved ones? Is that, is that a possibility? So these are some of the questions, some of the basic questions that come into play when we discuss the resurrection of the dead, which happens to be tonight's topic. Tonight's topic is the resurrection. I'm glad that you're part of this conversation. I'm glad to explore this with you. Let's begin. Like I said a moment ago, we consider death to be inevitable. We take it for granted. We believe that there's no way out of it. It's just part of the human condition. Until you take a deeper look, a closer look at the book of Genesis. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen with you. Um, if you got, if you got the PDF and printed it out, so keep it handy because we're going to look at it right now. If you got the PDF and want to open up on your computer, wonderful. If not, if none of the above, no problem. Yesh Tikva, there is always hope. And the hope that I'm referring to is the fact that I am sharing my screen with you. Can you see, what's going on over here? Can you see my screen? Yes? Is it coming through? Thumbs up? Okay. Good. So let's jump into text number one. Okie dokies. Let's jump right in. So text number one is coming from the book of Genesis. And I want you to pay attention. I'm going to read these texts. Yeah, I think I'll read them. Um, but as I read them, I want you to pay attention and think about the ramification of what Genesis chapter 2, verses 16, 17 are saying. God commanded man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on that day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Okay, so now I'm going to ask a question. My question is, what is the implication of the fact that the verse says, don't eat from, the God says, don't eat from that tree, because if you eat it, then you will die. What is the implication? Help me out here. I can't, I'm not going to give you any more information. Tell me the implication of that. Please unmute yourself. Okay, good. What else? What else? I'm keeping my question vague on death purpose. Of, death of things as they are. Okay, good, good, good. What else? What else? Give me more. As soon as you think you are like Hashem, you die. Okay, good. What else? What else? You don't eat from the tree. You yes, that's what I'm looking for. Excellent. That's exactly what I'm looking for. All of the above, by the way, the other points were, are true. But what I, was, what I specifically have in mind was the flip side. In other words, God is saying, if you eat of this tree, then you're going to die. The implication being, though what if they don't eat from the tree? If they don't eat from the tree, then guess what? They're not going to die. Which means that as, as certain as death is for us, understand that this is an aberration. This is a distortion from the way the human being was created initially, which was to live eternally. I'm going to say that one more time. And I'm going to reverse the order that I say it. Originally, Adam and Eve were created to live eternally. It was only because they ate from the tree, or God said, if you eat from the tree, death will be introduced. And we know the end of the story. They ate from the tree, and the end of the story is... Death was decreed. But that means that before the sin, 
of the Eitz Hadas Tovara, the sin of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, before that sin, what was destined for mankind? Eternal life. Now that's huge. Because what it means is that death is not inherent to the human condition originally. Death is a glitch. Death is a glitch that is introduced to mankind because of a problem. And with any glitch, right, fix the glitch, fix the problem, and what happens? It gets undone, right? If you have, um, I don't know, a computer glitch, right, a software glitch, fix the computer, fix the software, and boom, it's good. Fix the glitch in the human condition, and eternal life is possible. Are you following my logic here? Yes? We begin with eternal life. There's, it veers off because of the sin, and then death is introduced. If you can correct that, in the Hebrew we would call that tikkun. Tikkun means repair. If you can correct that, like tikkun alam, if you can correct that, the sin, right? Then you can undo that. Now, this also highlights a vast, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I caught myself almost saying, if you can correct that first sin, and then I thought, well, I was talking to you, I had all, all these other thoughts. First sin, original sin, no, 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 that's something very different. And I, I feel like I should just explain. I'm not an expert in, I'm working, as I've said many times, I'm working on Judaism. I'm not yet even starting on other religions yet. But my understanding of the doctrine of original sin is that that indicates that there's a bug or a flaw or some sort of negative already from the beginning implanted in the human condition. The Jewish understanding is actually the opposite. That before the sin, right, it's not original sin, it's the first of many, but it's, right, it's number one. But it's not original in that before the sin, human beings are destined to enjoy Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden Paradise, and live forever. Not a bad gig. If you can get paid for it, not even paid for it. If you can get that gig, take it. But that was the original gig. And then what happens? They make a mistake. And because of that, death is introduced. But death is not the original plan. Death is the glitch. Fix the glitch, the problem disappears. So if we can identify, here's the bottom line. If you and I can identify, and we're going to do this tonight, what exactly happened when they ate from that tree? Yeah? What happened? What, what was the problem anyway? I mean, seriously. What did they do wrong? And what did it cause? And why did it cause death? If we can figure all that out, then you and I can reverse engineer this and understand how death could be undone. And everything that we say tonight is not my ideas. This is all sourced, well-sourced throughout Jewish literature. It's an incredibly daring idea. But know this, that when we, not if we, when we, because this is going to happen, when we undo the glitch, we will enjoy eternal life as was originally destined, and this is not just a possibility, it's an inevitability. Take a look at verse, sorry, text number two. Once again, I'm going to share my screen with you. Take a look. This is from the book of Isaiah. 
Yeah, I told you I'm not saying this. Isaiah, you know Isaiah? Yeshayahu Anavi, one of the greatest Jewish prophets ever. Text 2. It's black and white. God, he's talking about the Messianic era. God shall conceal death forever, and he shall wipe the tears off every face. Be lahamaves lanetzach, umacha Hashem dimma me'al kalpanov, me'al pnei panov, something to that effect in the Hebrew. God will do away with death and wipe all the tears off every face. What tears? The tears that, people, that we cry when we lose a loved one. Death will be eradicated. It's not going to be something new. It's going to be what was. It's going to be an undoing of the aberration. It's very important to know what's normative and what is the unusual, what is the, the deviation. The norm to the human condition is eternal life. The deviation is death. That, that's what we need to, that's the first big idea of today's class. We take death for granted. Eternal life, you got to be kidding me. Not possible. What planet are you coming, like what, what are you even talking about? I'm giving you two verses, Genesis and Isaiah. This is normative Jewish text. Number one, death was not the original condition of the human being. Number two, it won't be the ultimate condition of the human being. Death in the interim is the aberration. That's, point, that's big idea number one. So let's, uh, let's explore this a little bit more. And let's ask the question, so now that we know that it wasn't, death wasn't part of the original plan, and it's not going to be in the final script either, so then how, how did we get there? What, what happened? Adam and Eve sinned. But what exact, how did that cause death? Why did that cause death? What does eating from the tree of knowledge have to do with death? All good questions. Let's jump to text number three. Okay, let's, let's jump to text number three, which talks about the sin. Okay, I, I hate to rehash old sins, but hey, it's, it's for a good cause. We're, uh, we're exploring a good topic. All right, Genesis 3, verses 6 through 7. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. This is talking about Eve, Chava. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she saw, oh, you can't get any better than this. So what'd she do? She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Always a smart move. Never go at it alone. It's like if I'm going down, if anything's going to happen, you try some. I remember, I, I don't remember which, I think it was Ellen, one of her stand-up comedy bits where she says, you ever go to a restaurant with somebody and they order something and they don't like it? They're like, oh, it's terrible. And then they say, try it. How, what is that even, like, it's terrible, oh, it's disgusting, try it. Like, what's, what, how does that logic work out? But there's something about sharing in the pain or sharing in the experience that we as human beings naturally do. So, Chava, Eve was sharing. Sharing is caring, says my daughter. So, look, Chava saw that it was good, it was a delight to the eyes, desirable, etc. She ate, and she gave to her husband, and he ate. Look what happens next. What happens next is the eyes, text three is still there. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves and made themselves girdles. Okay, so first tailors, right? Getting back to my tailor joke. The first tailors, this is it. So um, they ate, they ate of the tree and their eyes became open 
They knew they were naked, etc. Now, if you recall, God said in text 1, Genesis chapter 2, for on the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, did they die or not on that day? The answer is no. They didn't die on that day. They didn't instantly die eating the, from the tree of knowledge. But at that moment, mortality began. They began to decline. In other words, the clock started ticking on their number of years. Uh, yeah. When, when they say they die, could that mean that they die in Olamabah? Could be, but we're going le- to learn it even simpler on a, on a basic level. Mortality is introduced to the human condition on that day. So although they don't die, although we don't have the full cessation of life, but the moment that death is introduced, you're basically, not you, but one is basically good as gone. In other words, now that's, the, now they, they have an expiration date. So essentially, they're no longer living eternal. Text number four is where God articulates this. Once again, in Genesis chapter 3, right after the sin. God talks to the serpent, talks to Eve, and talks to Adam. And this is what God says to Adam, text number 4. There are repercussions. Here's the consequence of eating of the tree. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground, for you were taken therefrom. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is Punishment, consequence, whatever you want to call it. This is the consequence of eating from the tree. Yeah? That is, that it's going to be hard to earn a living to eat. It's going to require work. There is the notion of returning to the ground. And to reiterate, the Torah said, God says, thus you are, thus you will, thus you will return. You came from the earth, you're going to the earth. It wasn't originally destined, but now it's going to happen. So hopefully you have um, a pretty uh, solid picture of what's going on. God says originally, here you are, you're going to live. If you eat from this tree, that's it. And they eat from the tree. So God says, that's it. Not right now, but it's basically it. Your days are numbered. It doesn't have to be now, right? But it's, it's going to happen. So you're as good as gone. God is telling Adam and Eve, essentially. Right? I'm not trying to be, um, you know, morbid or whatever. I'm just, the reality is reality, right? Now, as we said before, this is all the aberration. This is not the original model of the human being. The original model is eternal life. This is, this, is the, this is the glitch. The glitch causes, the glitch is eating from the tree. It's causing this consequence of death being visited upon humanity. But let's ask a few questions because we, we need to make sense of all this. And by the way, if you think like there's a lot of information floating around, but what, how are we bring this all together, don't worry don't worry, um, everything's going to come together in a moment. But first I need to ask a few questions on what we just read. Question number one is, what does it mean when the Torah says that their eyes were opened? After they ate from the tree, the eyes, the, the eyes of both of them, they were opened. And they realized they were naked. What, what a bizarre thing to say, you know, as the first reaction to eating the fruit. Not like, oh, it tastes good. Or not like, whoops, we messed up. Not like, ah, it's not even as good as we thought it was. Maybe we shouldn't have had it. No. The first thing the Torah says is they re- their eyes were opened and they realized that they were not wearing clothing. It sounds like very, uh, a very, very interesting thing. Now, second question is, why did they make clothing? Even if they realize that they're not wearing clothing, who says they need to be wearing clothing? Why does one, why does one equal the other? 
right? What's going on over there? And the, the third question, which is the most important question for our conversation, is why is death the consequence from eating from the tree? Why is eating from the tree of knowledge resulting in death? What's the, what's the connection? Heartburn. An Adam's apple. I, what, I don't know. Whatever. Whatever you want to... You can come up with all sorts of things. But why is death the consequence for this? Right? Like, what's the, what's the connection? It seems a bit arbitrary. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, God said, don't eat it or else you're going to die, and they did it. So now death is visited upon humankind. Okay, so God fulfilled his promise, but why? Like, what's the, we, we still have to explain the connection. So, so stick with me for a moment as I put all of the pieces together. Here we go. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank um, you. One second. So I was just brought this. On Zoom, it may look like a real shoe, but it's not. It's just art from my six-year-old. Thank you, Ellie Solish. I appreciate that. Those shoes are made for walking. Okay, getting back. So let's talk about, let's talk about what happened when they ate from the tree. Number one, why were they ashamed? So here's what you need to know. Spoiler alert. They weren't wearing clothes the whole time. There you go. They, at, up until this point, they weren't wearing clothes. Which really evokes a fourth question, which is, well, so then why did they suddenly realize that they weren't wearing clothes? Or maybe that was our question. All right, whatever. But what, like, what happens now? So here's what you need to know. What shifted post-sin, they weren't, the whole time they weren't wearing clothes, but you know what? They weren't embarrassed. They weren't ashamed. They weren't self-conscious. You know why? Because they weren't self-aware. But more importantly, they didn't view the body as anything to be ashamed of. Why? Why? Because... Hold on, guys. One second. Um, because... Um, because there was not, in there, at, at that point in time, there was nothing to be ashamed about. The body was a creation of God, just like anything. You walk down the street and you look at a tree. Are you embarrassed? Is the tree embarrassed? No, right? You see a mountain. <gasps> a shanda. I, what, it's a mountain. Like, what's the, it's God's creation. The body was no different. The body was God's creation. Nothing to be ashamed of, right? Wonderful. No clothes, no problem. You know they say no shoes, no shirt, no service. <laughs> no shoes, no shirt, no problem. No big deal. What happens after the sin, what happens after the sin is suddenly they, <laughs> okay, is suddenly they realize that the body has its own agenda. Suddenly the body is asserting itself. Say hi very quickly. There you go. Suddenly the body is asserting itself and going a different direction than what God is wishing. In other words, before the sin, 
body and soul are working together in perfect harmony, seamless. Seamless. No, no, no seams. Seamless, no seams, right? Obviously, right? Working together perfectly. Uh, after the sin, the body is now, ha- the body now has its own agenda. The body says, nope, this is what I want, this is what I'm doing, and now the body is pulling away. Give you an example. What's a demographic of people that are less ashamed than others? You know the answer? Come here, Riva. Let's, let's talk about the answer. You know who doesn't mind? You know who's not as... Well, now I'm getting mobbed. Hey, guys. Okay, just very quickly to say hi, and then, and then you're going to... Uh, that's it. Say hi. Say hi. Okay, so here's the deal when it comes to... Whoa, careful. Here's the deal when it comes to children. Children are not embarrassed. If you want to know a demographic of people, let's just speak... We'll speak carefully. Who, doesn't, who don't mind, in general discarding um, layers of, uh, of garb, right? And running around the house, whether or not you have guests over, theoretically. Because, right, who, which demographic of people? I mean, you could have a few demographics, but one classic demographic, at least, of individuals that don't, aren't really um, ashamed or embarrassed are children. Why? Because they don't know what to be embarrassed or ashamed about. Because it's just, it's just this. So what's, what are you, it just, it, it just is. But we get a little older, we start to learn things, we know things, we experience things. Suddenly it's like, well, maybe we need to cover up. Maybe, you know, this is something other than just pure innocence. Maybe there's something else going on here. So you know what, let's, for the sake of all of us, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll garb up. Before the sin, Adam and Eve were like kids. Innocent, totally innocent, did not know any other, didn't know anything else. Take a look at the way the Sfarno um, explains this. I'm going to share my screen with you once more. Take a look at text number five. Okay, look, look at this. Oops, what did I do here? Okay, text number five. This one right here. At that time before the sin of the tree of knowledge, All of Adam and Eve's pursuits and all of their limbs, listen to that, all of their limbs were aimed solely to please their creator, not to engage in temporal pleasures. In other words, let me just throw in commentary here. Their body existed for God and not for self-pleasure. Listen to this. They viewed marital intercourse no differently than purposeful eating and drinking. They viewed their reproductive organs much as we view our mouths Faces and hands. So that's, that should be very clear. In other words, there was no difference between a mouth, a nose, an ear, a head, a chin, and any other part of the body. Let's keep, let, let's, 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 uh, keep it at that. Right? Why? Because every part of their body was equally in service of God. And in that seamless place of divine service, what could go wrong? What are you ashamed of? But the moment they indulge in self-pleasure, the moment they indulge in a pleasure that is not divinely sanctioned, what happens? There's a breach. The, the soul and body were aligned, right? Body was aligned with soul, with God, with purpose. 
they now decide, God wants me not to eat from the tree, but I want to eat, so I'm going to eat from the tree that moment. And in that moment, the body separates from the soul. And in that moment, in that moment of separation, what happens? Shame sets in. Why shame? Because now no longer is the body perfectly pure and seamless with God's intention. Now, the body, now the body has its own agenda. And a body's agenda is not always pure, not always holy. And when we know that it's not pure and holy, there's a little bit of shame. What is shame? Shame is a feeling of not being where we really should be. So that lack of pure um, synthesis of body and soul induces the shame. So let's answer. This is like dominoes. We have one point, and that's going to topple all of our questions. You'll see how. We asked, I'm, I'm going to go out of order. It doesn't matter how I ask the questions, but let's just knock them all down. We asked, why did they be, they, they weren't wearing clothes before. Why are they ashamed now? Okay, because before they were doing what God wanted. So the body was a perfect, and, and top to bottom, the body was a conduit to God. Suddenly, the body's not so innocent anymore. Suddenly, you lost your innocence. Suddenly, you're not all about God. You're about self. Oh, slow down. Slow down, cowboy. Oh, now it's about you. Now your body is pulling away from God. All right, now you got to look in the mirror. One second. So now I feel a bit embarrassed. You know, what does Adam do right after the sin? He hides. Right? It's not in the text, but maybe you know this part of the story. Adam hides. God says, where are you? <laughs> God says, Ayeka, where are you? It's not because he didn't know where he was. But yeah, engage him in conversation. Or where are you? I mean, I put you here. Like, what have you done? That type of, uh, where are you? He's hiding. The same reason why they put on clothes. Because when you're embarrassed, you don't know what to do with yourself. You ever have a moment of shame and you don't know where to, where to bury yourself? Cone of shame. Cone of shame, right. Yeah, it's like, it's, um, you're, you're embarrassed and you don't even know what to do with yourself. You just want to hide. They, they, they needed to hide their bodies. Because their bodies had gone off the rails. Right? Their bodies had been the one that their temptation of the body got the better of them. And that's embarrassing. It, for them, it was embarrassing. I think we take it for granted. But whatever. For them, it was embarrassing. They, and they, they, all they knew is that they, they needed to hide. They needed to cover this body that had now just done uh, uh, an act of separation. So that's why they got ashamed. That's why they, they created clothing for themselves. And that's why death is introduced. By now, in this course, you know what life is. Right? In the marriage of body and soul, who has the life? Please unmute yourself to respond to this question. In the marriage of body and soul, right? Life, the, right, life right now for us is a soul and a body. Which component has the life? Soul. The soul. And how long does the soul live? Eternally. Eternally. Soul is a piece of God. Peace of God. Soul is, has eternal life. Get this. If the body is a pure conduit to the soul, how long does the body live? If the body is a pure conduit to the soul, no interruptions, no glitches, no interference, right? 
nothing, no corrosion, nothing. If it's purely con conducive to the eternal life of the soul, how long does the body live? Eternally. Eternally. Why is death introduced? Only because the body put up interference. It all comes together. The same reason why they put on clothes, the same reason why they were ashamed, is the same reason why death is introduced. It's not an outside punishment. It's not some sort of extrinsic consequence. Like, oh, you ate from the tree, you're grounded. That's it. Go to timeout. Wear the cone of shame. Get the cone of shame. Right here. Yeah, pass the cone of shame. Let's show everybody what the cone of shame is. We play, there's a game, there's a... Um, right here, right here, right here. Right there. The cone of shame. Right, right underneath that, yeah. Sure. So, um, there's a game, a board game, a card game called Exploding Kittens. Whatever, it's not as, not, as, uh, not as bad as it sounds. So there's a thing in the game, in the expansion pack, I'm bringing you in on a lot of stuff here, that there's a card that if you draw it, it reverses the order of who goes next. And if you forget which order when it's reversed, because you weren't paying attention, so then you get to wear the cone of shame. This is the cone of shame, and you wear it, and it says... Right, you would wear the cone of shame, and essentially... It would remind you and everybody else which direction the game is going. So, am I doing this? I'm not doing this right. Hold on, I know. Right, that is the cone of shame. With arrows just showing everybody which way it's supposed to go. So now you know, so now welcome. Welcome to, uh, to my world. Now, and, and card games that we play as a family under COVID conditions. So, here's the deal. The same reason why they're ashamed, the same reason why, they're wearing, why they make clothing for themselves, the same reason why Adam is hiding, is the same reason why there's death. It's one answer. Oh, hey, Ellie. <laughs> That's our model for the cone of shame. What, much better than my cone of shame wearage usage. This, it's the same reason. And the reason is because, very, on a very simple level, body and soul are no longer in perfect harmony with each other. Body and soul are now going in different directions. Once body and soul have been breached, so number one, the body's embarrassed, the body's ashamed, the body needs to cover up, the body needs to hide, we're, we're, we're embarrassed, God created it here, and we, all, and, and we moved it there. That's embarrassing. It's embarrassing where we went to. It's, 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 no one else needs to shame us. We are ashamed of our own actions. You ever do something that you're embarrassed about? That's how Adam and Eve felt. Cannot believe what we just did. I, we cannot believe what we just did. Embarrassing. They needed to hide themselves. And it's for the very same reason why death is introduced. Because what's happening is this, the body is no longer purely conducive to the soul. The body is no longer purely aligned with the soul. Therefore, the body is pushing against the soul. As the soul is siphoning life to it, the body is in its own way pushing back. And at some point, it pushes back hard enough and long enough that the soul goes the other direction. And that's what death is. A, a body that perfectly channels the soul is a body that lives forever. But you and I are born, you and I are born into a condition where the, where the body's breach already exists. But here's the good news. It's healable. It's, it's, it's possible to reverse it, to reverse the shift. Um, take a look. I'm going to share another uh, share my screen with you. This is going to be text number six. 
Take a look at this text. This is how, I keep on doing that, this is how the Rebbe explains this notion. It's all the way at the bottom of this page. Text 6. Death was introduced to the world as a direct result of the sin of the tree of knowledge. Life is associated exclusively with holiness, with the soul. Unholiness, on the other hand, is synonymous with death. As a result of the sin of the tree of knowledge, unholiness, spiritual death, became part of the human being's identity. This resulted in physical death. So what we have here is a very simple formula. Soul equals life. Therefore, body that equals soul equals life. Body that equals self equals an opposition to life, and that's where death comes in. So God says to Adam and Eve, to summarize, God says to Adam and Eve, as long as you stay pure to mission, as long as you stay true to mission, you're golden. Life is yours for the taking. Your body is going to work with your soul, and your soul lives forever. Gesundheit. hate. Live, 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 uh, live long and prosper, or something like that, right? The moment you choose to go a different path, the moment you sever the connection, you've severed the connection. It's not a punishment. It's not, uh, you know, ooh, it, um, I'm telling you don't do it. It's, a, it's not a punishment. It's a consequence. The consequence is you sever a connection, the connection is severed. Yeah? If you have, to give you an example, right? Many of you are on Wi-Fi right now. Many of you are on a wireless internet connection. Yeah? Which means that many of you do not have your computer plugged into the internet with a, an Ethernet cable. Some of you might, but many of you, I would venture to say, are, are working on a wireless connection, which means that you have a router somewhere in your house. You do have a, you do have a box on the, on the wall, right? And there is a wire going to your modem, and maybe your modem is going to your router, or maybe you have a modem-router combination. It doesn't matter, but something that has antennas, right? And the antennas are beaming to your laptop. I want to ask you a question. What if you put a wall, a steel wall, in between wherever you are right now and your router? You think your, you think your connection is going to suffer a little bit? I think so. If you put the right material, if you put a thick enough wall, your connection is going to suffer. That's it. You put up a wall. It's not a punishment. You put up a wall. It, it is what it is. So the soul is vibrating life. The soul is pulsing life. You're open, you got it. The moment you put up a wall, go in a different direction, all right, so you'll get whatever little connection you'll get, and that's it. Adam and Eve had everything, all the possibilities. Their, their bodies were aligned. There was no shame. And then they deviated. They said, God, see you later. We're going our own direction. And when they did that, they realized that Shame, clothing, and death. It's all part of the same package, a natural consequence. But here's what it means for us. Now we understand how death can be healed. You with me? We started the class by saying the, the original condition of the human being is no death. And now we understand why death was introduced. But now we also understand how death could be reversed, simple equation. 
unmute yourself if you can tell me how, not a specific process, but generally speaking, how is death undone? Give me a gen, the general, what, what, based on what we've said until now, what's the formula? I don't mean... Say it again. To, to uh, realign ourselves. Yeah, exactly. When the body is realigned with the soul perfectly, then it, then it will once again live forever. Very simple. Not easy. No, not saying it's easy. But it, the formula is simple. If eternal life happens when the two are aligned, death happens when they're separated, so how do we get back to eternal life? Realign. That's it. Super simple. Not easy, but simple. Very straightforward. So let's look at how this is done. But before we look at how this is done, let's first look at another question. A question that we posed. Can I ask a, a question? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, just, just a question. So, in, so a baby is born without self-awareness. Right. Is that, are you, is it, is it that the baby is born, because you had said that we're born into a condition in which the body and soul are already breached. So does that mean that despite the absence of self-awareness, it's, the baby's doomed anyway because the baby is born into this sin? You, well, no, it's, well, born into a condition where more than likely at some point as they mature, as they get older, they will become self-aware and the body will move away from the soul. But yeah. Um, that in those, that period of time without self-awareness, that, that that baby has the potential for eternal life. Well, here's the thing. Um, there's different levels of lack of self-awareness. So the question would be, I understand your, I think I understand your question, but the question that I would ask on that is, is the lack of self-awareness of the, of the baby or the child, is that the same pure lack of self-awareness as Adam and Eve, spiritual lack of self-awareness, or is it like a, um, a metaphor or kind of a, a similar type, but not exactly the same thing? In other words, when the baby wakes up in the middle of the night and cries, waking up his or her mother, right, from a very restful sleep. Is that not being in touch with the body, or is that being in touch with the body, but not being aware that you're in touch with the body? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily giving you a definitive answer either way. I'm just saying, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, if that makes sense. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Sort of? Yeah. Because that's, I mean, they're crying, but they're not necessarily consciously aware of having a wet diaper or being hungry Correct. or being, or it's more reflexive. Right, right, right. So it's definitely reflexive. So there's a more, there's a certain level of purity, but it's still being in touch with what I need as opposed to what's needed from me. So Adam and Eve originally, so that's what I'm saying. It's an example, but it's not exactly the same thing. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were originally created in a way that they had the possibility to live their lives completely attuned to what they were needed for and not for their own self-need. So God says, look, there's plenty of things for you um, or plenty of things that are, that are available. And when you do them, they're in accordance with my will. This is off limits. And they went ahead and, and targeted the off limits. At that moment, they were asserting self over the other. And that pulls them away. Now, 
again, I, I, I could go two different ways on this. I could say, yes, there is a similarity with a young child, with a baby, and then we grow into the normative human condition. Or I can say that even as a baby, it's not exactly the same thing, and, you know, etc. Oh, so being born into sin sounds like Christianity. Yeah, I don't know if born into sin is the right, is the right language. I may have said that. And that, that may come off, you know, come across, you know, the not, not um, in, a, in a Jewish spirit uh, way of articulating it. I don't mean born into sin like that, but I do mean that we are born into a condition where death is the norm, right? We're born into a condition where selfishness is the norm or asserting self over others, over God, over soul is the norm. It's just, it's just a nor normal part of life that at some point we're going to make choices that probably aren't uh, necessarily in accordance with our higher power 100% of the time. That's just, uh, yeah. Alex, can I ask you one question? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, Saudi is completely aligned with their purpose um, to serve Hashem. Right. Then um, their body is, and that's, I'm talking about a complete Saudi. Right. Then body is there, is then aligned. So, a couple of questions. One, then why does Saudi, how does Saudi die? And when they do die, what really happens to their body? Excellent. B both excellent questions. Um, the second question, I don't know that I have a complete answer for, but the first question, I think I have something that will help give a little perspective on it. And it's really the next part of our conversation. Because it's not just that there was a breach within, within, the, um, within, the, body and so within the body and soul itself. There's another element here as well, and that is from the moment that Adam and Eve did their thing against what God wanted, from that moment, there begins a breach in the larger world, in the world at large, in the universe, between purpose and, I don't know, self, or just the world itself now has that breach. Therefore, a human being being born into that condition right, of the breach. I'm not going to say born into sin because that has other connotations, but born in the breach, born into that place of gap, um, will basically fall, nah, fall prey or whatever, is basically susceptible to the result of that breach. So even if the individual, let's say Tzaddik, a uh, perfectly righteous individual who lived a life completely selfless for God, etc. Not at all selfish, ego-driven, you know, body wanting to do its own thing. Completely about purpose about God, right? Let's say we're talking about such a person. So, will they die? The answer is, currently the answer is yes. Because once there's a breach, the breach affects everything. There's a breach on some level in everything that exists until it's healed. And that's what we're getting to is about how we can heal it and, and how that process looks. But it's kind of like an all or nothing thing. It's not like it's by the individual. If the individual has a breach, then it's one thing. But if the individual doesn't, then eternal life for them. It's almost like once there's a breach, then you got to heal it for everybody. Once the cat's out of the bag, I think I saw somebody, maybe Mark, you wrote this. How do you unring a bell that's rung type thing? It's like, you know, once there's a... guys. Once there's, once there's a breach, it's like now, now that's what we're dealing with. So the tzaddik 
who's living, you know, a life of dedication, devotion to God, to something higher. So, so that tzaddik also, on some level, is, 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 is limited by the natural condition of the universe right now, which is we, we're in a state where things are not perfectly aligned. So, therefore, it's not so much on an individual basis. I mean, we're talking about how it starts with individuals, but now there's more than, more than one or two people. And so now it's almost this collective effort, which, as you'll see soon, talks, will, will lead into our discussion about how we do this on a global level and bring Mashiach, which brings about this healing. Mashiach is, the Messianic era, is about this moment of, of, of universal healing the breach where now everything's aligned. But I don't want to get too far ahead. But it's an excellent question. As far as what happens to the body of a tzaddik after death, I, I don't know that the, I don't know that's in my uh, in my pay grade. I mean, the basic understanding is the body is laid to rest, the soul lives on. The life of a tzaddik in general is not a physical, a physically cent, uh, centric, physical centric life. It's a spiritual centric life. Therefore, relating to a tzaddik before and after death can be understood to be almost the same thing because the, the tzaddik was never about what's for lunch. The tzaddik was always about God. So on that level. On that level, that doesn't change, right? So for some of us, it's for most of us, right? It's hard to relate to a person without their physical attributes, right? You think of a loved one, you think about what they looked like, um, what clothes they wore, what food they like to eat, you know, that sort of thing. When you talk about a tzaddik, the physical stuff, the trappings were never the most prominent part of the person. It was always about the soul. So... Before the soul had a body. Now the soul is pure soul. But anyway, they lived a pretty much a pure soul life. So there's not much of a conceptual difference other than the fact that you can or can't see them or talk to them. But, but it, so that's, that's what I would say about a tzaddik. Um, anyway, but as far as the body, the body will also end under the current conditions because we are all born into that reality. So now, getting back to our conversation. So we talked about the original condition being eternal life. We then talked about how somewhere, somehow there's a glitch. We explained the glitch. Very simple. When you take two things, you know, if you take met, a metal, uh, not metal, if you take a wire and you cut it, the connection is going to be cut. If you take, if, if, the, if the connection is comprised of multiple strands of copper of wire you ever have like headphones that you plug in or a power cord in your computer and at some point it gets bent and then you have to like hold it at a certain angle to work you know what i'm talking about you ever have that and you find yourself like if i hold it like this it's gonna work right if i hold it like this that that's what happens so the connection gets bent the connection gets warped and that's where we are so now there's death and now there's a distortion in the world itself so now let's talk about the next piece, which is to understand how this can be healed, we need to ask the next question, which is if we do believe that eternal life is possible once again, is it only for those that happen to be living in that era that that's achieved? Or will all those who came before also be able to enjoy that new reality? I, I hope my question is clear. In other words, assuming there's a way to arrive at that place, healing the breach, 
Eternal life resumes once again. Is it only for those lucky few, relatively few, few that are living at that moment in history? Or does it retroactively go back and pull with it everyone else? The, the Jewish answer is it goes back. And this is where um, the resurrection of the dead comes in. This is, by the way, not a fringe Jewish belief, not some obscure, you know, in some co mystical coded books that not, that's not mainstream, you know, someone somewhere wrote it and it was buried for 400 years. No, none of the above. This is normative Jewish belief, none other than Maimonides, who is the single authority on Jewish law. He, when I say single authority, he's the only one who compiled a comprehensive code of law of all the 613 mitzvot, Maimonides, in his 13 principles of Jewish faith, articulates this as number 13. This is the 13th principle of, of Jewish, is the foundation of Judaism. Take a look, the res, text 7. The resurrection of the dead is a foundation of the Torah of Moses. Look what he says next. It's very, it's very strong. One cannot maintain a connection to the Jewish religion without this belief. And I, I don't need to apologize for him. Why should I apologize for him? So let me tell you what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you say, I don't believe in this. So what he's saying is, okay, but then it's not Judaism. Then, then you're not speaking on behalf of Judaism. One cannot maintain a connection to the Jewish religion without this belief. This is inse inseparable from Judaism. Judaism equals a belief in the resurrection of the dead. You cannot say, I believe in Judaism, but this one I don't believe in, then that's not, then whatever, you're, you, whatever else you have is not Judaism. That's what Maimonides is saying. By the way, if, if, if that's uh, you know, you know, uncomfortable, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you, what it says. Maimonides is saying, this is the reality. Normative Judaism. Now, now, it's not just a legitimate Jewish belief and not a fringe belief, but it's a foundational belief. It's an essential belief. And by the way, you should know it's the belief that Jews held on throughout crusades and inquisitions and Ado de Faz at Dinamalka, right? Your favorite expression, burning at the stakes, in other words. Throughout pogroms and throughout the Holocaust. You know what the Jews were singing on their way to the chambers? They were singing, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach. I believe with perfect faith in the resurrection of the dead. That's what they were singing. That's what they were singing. Question for you. Yeah. Um, why is it, I have the feeling that if you stopped 100 Jews on the street and asked about resurrection of the dead, about three people would know it. Why is that? Why is it something that is not taught? Who are these rabbis that are not teaching the essentials? That's my question. Who are these rabbis that are, that are, that are, um, that are not teaching this? I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking because I'm referring to myself, right? I mean, once every few years we have a class on this. I agree with you. It should be, more, it should be taught more. Maybe we should do a class on the 13 principles of faith and, and have it on repeat every year to make sure that everyone knows. You know, in many, in many prayer books, there's actually a, I think... Help me out. Who, who's familiar with this? Yes? Okay, I'm getting some nods. Not in the Chabad prayer book. Sorry? 
scroll. Art scroll, yeah. Okay. Perfect. So in the Ashkenazi, and the normative Ashkenazi prayer book, I believe right after chakras, after the morning prayers each day, you read the 13 principles of faith. So it's there. But you're, I, Barry, I agree with you 100%. In fact, I would say not even three. Are you, three is being very generous. I mean, three is super generous. I mean, those who know, know, but I would say most have no idea. Most would say that's, no, no, that's not a thing. No. I mean, that's maybe a fringe belief. Maybe, you know, like some, you know, ultra, ultra, you know, whatever. Look, it's, it's classic Jew, Jewish belief. And as our parents and, not parents, but grandparents, great-grandparents, our predecessors were facing the most horrific of challenges, that, those were the words on their lips. That we believe with unshakable faith that Mashiach will come and we're coming back. That's what kept them going. That's what allowed them to walk without fear to face what they faced. That is what allowed them to operate without fear because they knew with unshakable, with unshakable belief and faith that this, is what, that this is what we believe in, this is what we know to be true, that this will happen. So let's explore what this belief is. Uh, what? Yeah. When you say resurrection, do you mean reincarnated? Do you mean going to heaven or do you mean something else? Souls and bodies, baby. Souls back in bodies. Yeah. Well, yeah. reincarnated. No. No, no. Reincarnation means that you're still mopping up a mission. Right? And it's not the same soul. It's like an offshoot. It's a branch. It's a candle. Whatever it is. This is... Back and back for the long haul. Reincarnation is only to fix up something and then you're out again. This is for, for, for good, for keeps. This is so coming back. This, is this all of your past souls turning into one soul? No, 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 no. We're going to see that in a second. I, we have, I have a reading for that. We're going to read it in a second together. Yeah. Hold, hold on, hold on. We're going to get to it. But, but know this. Let's got to get the construction going, folks. We're get, it's going to get busy. We've got to get all the high rises built. All the cranes in Atlanta, we gotta keep on, keep on building up, because we got we're gonna get some some uh, some company. Take a look, not take a look. I'm gonna tell you some some fa- some some ideas about the resurrection. So first of all, who and what who is this for, and what is this for? So it's for all souls, even reincarnated souls will return in their physical bodies. Oh, um, what's the Christian concept of the resurrection of the dead? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I really don't know about that. So I can't even comment. But let me show you some text. So we'll, we'll explore this inside. Take a look at text number, I think this is eight. Yeah. Oh, our favorite, Rabbi Chaim Vital, from the Arizal's teachings. Shar um, HaGagulam, the book of uh, reincarnation. Look what he says. If the first time, text eight, if the first time a soul descended into a body and passed away before it was fully rectified, Hold on. If the first time a soul descended to a body passed away before it was fully rectified, okay, at the time of resurrection, that body will possess the portion of the soul it rectified while alive. Ah, in other words, if part of it had to be reincarnated, well, then the part that was fixed in that, the part that was uh, fulfilled in whatever body was fulfilled in, it comes back in that body. When the same soul reincarnates into another body to complete its rectification, the portion of the soul that was rectified in the second body will vivify the second body when it rises at the resurrection. So it's going to split. Are you with me? Both incarnations are going to come back. That's what he's saying. 
James, does that make sense? I don't know if it makes sense, but it's the, no. huh? No, I didn't get it really. Okay, what he's saying is like this. Going back to my example, I don't like my example, but it's what I said a few weeks, last week, so I'm gonna stick with it. Let's say there's a thousand sparks, right? And the soul completes 750. 250 is, is left over. So 250 now goes into, you know, joins with another energy or creates another soul, and now it's rolled into a new soul in a new body. So in, at the resurrection of the dead, what he's saying is um, the body possesses the portion of the soul rectified while alive. In other words, the body, body A, will possess the 750 soul sparks that are rectified, that are rectified while alive in that, first, in, in that lifetime. And the 250 sparks that were not yet rectified that are then rolled into the next soul and then hopefully are rectified in that incarnation will then go into the second body. Right? So the portion of the soul that was rectified in the second body will vivify, will basically give life to the second body when it arrives at the resurrection. Which means that on some level, not the same soul will come back in two different bodies, but parts of the same soul could come back in two different bodies because, as we said last week, um, uh, reincarnation is not the same soul in multiple bodies, which would create a question of, well, which body does it come back into? Each incarnation has individual, has its own unique sparks and its own unique mission on some level. Therefore, each incarnation will be returning. Hope that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So then, then we could have multiple, we would have multiple souls from previous lives and the portion of yes. and percentage of the sparks that were accomplished or fulfilled from each of those multiple souls will be put into the one human body in the resurrection. No, into those respective bodies that they were reincarnated in. In other words, the bodies that it did its work in the, uh-huh. will come back. The soul, kind of the match of that soul, what it accomplished in that body, that will come back as a unit. So if it took multiple bodies to get all... Previous lives, like a hundred of us? Yeah, 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 exactly. But it's not us, it's different versions, if that makes sense. And then, and then the, whatever's not, whatever sparks have not been fulfilled are still going to be reincarnated? Well, I think at this point, that th- at this point, it will all, it's, this is not going to happen until everything is done. That's the all point. Right. This doesn't happen until everything is done. So at that point, that's not a concern anymore. So actually, let's speak about that because that's my next, the next thing that I wanted to share is, so when is this, when does this happen? So according to Jewish tradition, this happens 40 years after Mashiach comes, after the Messianic era. So it's at the final stages of the Messianic era after the Holy Temple is rebuilt and 40 years after the exiles are gathered. Where does it happen? It happens, the source of it, the epicenter is in the land of Israel. How does it happen? So according to Jewish tradition, the body is built from a part, sorry, um, yeah, the, the new body, if you will, or the resurrected body is built from a piece of the original body um, that remains eternally present. And that piece of the body is called the Luz Bone. If you want to write it in, in Hebrew, Lamed Vav Zion. In English, L-U-Z. Luz. There's a part of the body. Different opinions as to where it is. The Talmud talks about this. Kabbalah talks about this. So there's a part of the body, a bone, a small bone, that Jew, Jewish, Jewish tradition says never disintegrates. On some level, always remains. Look, if you want to picture an actual bone, great. If you want to picture DNA that somehow survives, wonderful. However it works for you, go for it. 
The point is a piece of the body remains, and from that piece of the body, God will once again bring it back to life. Again, I know I mentioned DNA, you know, Jurassic Park. Remember Jurassic Park? Remember the premise of Jurassic Park? Yeah? Because I don't. No, I think I do. I think the premise of Jurassic Park is that they had some genetic material left over from the dinosaurs and they rebuilt them. Is that, is that yes? Yes. Yes? Okay. So if it's good for Jurassic Park, I'm just saying. No. So here's the point. Is it going to happen biologically? Is it miraculously? I'm going to go with miraculously. But I'll say this. Science is making it less far-fetched. Science and medicine makes all of this way less impossible than it was 100 years ago. 100 years ago, this was like pure, like, whoa, way out there. Now, we can almost do this. You can take DNA, genetic material, from a part, an organ and build out the organ, I think. Am I wrong here? Doctors, help me out. We have a bunch of doctors here. Yeah, am I wrong? Can we build, a, can we build an organ from, from a piece of an organ? Something like that? Uh, all right, we're working on it. All right, we're going to get there. I'm confident. <laughs> I'm confident we're going to get there. So look, um, anyway, the, the bottom line is this. The bottom line is that resurrection of the dead is understood to happen from a bone that is not destroyed, which, by the way, is another reason why we shy away from uh, cremation. Once again, not that God can't pull it off anyway, but why make God sweat, right? Let's not, let's not do that, right? God's hooking us up. Let's, uh, let's make it easier than harder. It's like, man, where do I find the Lisbon now? Let's not, let's, not, uh, let's not make it complicated. I mean, you know, people take things and they sprinkle it across the four, the seven Caesars. I don't know, you know, all these, these things. And I guess it's a tribute on some level, you know, I, get on, I understand the concept maybe, but from a Jewish perspective, we want to be in one place ready to go because we're coming back. If you thought this was good the first time around, just wait. Just wait for the reunion tour. This is going to be like next level stuff. Okay, so th that, this is normative Jewish belief. And by the way, you might say, oh, so how, how's God going to do it? I, I'll tell you this. I, I can't tell you how, right? And I'm not going to tell you it has to do with DNA or science. Not, not saying that. But I'll tell you this. Life itself is a miracle. I mean, how are we born the first time around? Any less of a miracle. What? Procreation makes sense? I mean, come on, the whole thing, the mystery of life, I mean, life itself is a mystery. So if it, if, if it happens the first time around, it can't happen the second time around. I mean, like, it's any less or more logical. It just happens to be that we're used to people being born and dying and coming back again is a thing that's not in our, uh, you know, not in our experience. It, it's no less miraculous than anything else that operates around us. So take that for what it's worth. But the real question that I want to ask you is, oh, where's the loose bone mentioned? I can't tell you the track tape, but look, um, just Google Lisbon. I can't vouch for everything that, Google, that Rabbi Google comes up with, but if you, if you type in Talmud um, Lisbon, you're, you're bound to find it, bound to find it. Just make sure it's a legitimate source, safaria.org, I think. If it's on Safaria, you know it's a legitimate source. If it's on, if you have a question, you can always email, email me a link and, and ask if it's legit or not. Anyway, that's, uh, yeah. Now, 
The, the, but the big question is, so now we understand maybe a little bit about the resurrection, but the big question is, what's the point? Why, why come back? I mean, some people would say about a band that it's, they should have stayed retired. You know, they hung up the microphone. It was good. You had a good run. Enjoy the retirement. What's the, what's the deal? You take a soul that's living large, right? Basking in the rays, spiritual shades, pina colada, just enjoying life. Again, right, I'll, I'll ingest, but right, enjoying the spiritual ambiance. You take the soul and bring it back again. Who says it wants to come back? What is this? Schlepping the soul back again into a body. Who needs it? Right? So I want to give you a few different explanations for why. What's the, what's the purpose behind the resurrection? Simple reason and deeper reason. And it's all going to tie together with what we said before. Simple reason is like this. Everything good that we do on this world, on this earth, is done with the partnership of both soul and body. The soul cannot do a mitzvah by itself. The soul cannot give tzedakah. I'm so, it can't. It can't give charity. How do I know this? Because a soul doesn't have hands. It doesn't have access to money. A soul can't function in a physical environment without the spacesuit that is the body. It, it just can't. It's an energy. It's not, it, can't, it can't move things around. It, just, it can't. It can work inside a body and help the body move around 100%. It animates the body. But without a body, it can't, it can't do it. So when we gave tzedakah, who did it? Soul and body. The body was involved. So I'll ask you a question. Which part gets rewarded? Which part enjoys, reaps the benefit, reaps the rewards of its effort? The soul, we talked about going to heaven. The soul basks in the rays. The soul goes home. What about the body? When does the body enjoy what it produced? Resurrection of the dead. In other words, without the resurrection of the dead, the body would be completely shut out of all the good that it did. Right? The body would be completely left out of all the mitzvot that it did. And that's not fair. So that's one simple explanation for why the notion of resurrection of the dead, it's in order to reward the body. But the truth is, it's not a sufficient answer. I'm giving you an answer that some people give, but between you and me, that's not good enough. Because you got to reward the body, so let it come back for a little bit, and then go away again. Give it uh, 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, 50 years. Uh, give, it, give it a reward. But eternal life, why does it need eternal life? There's got to be a deeper answer. So here's the deeper answer. And it all goes back to what we said before. And it goes back to the sin of Adam and Eve, and it goes back to the breach. We said before, I mentioned before, that the breach was not just between the body and soul of Adam and Eve, although it was also. It started there. But it then extended into the larger world, the universe at large, where now the world itself, not just the human being, the world itself is misaligned. And what I mean by that is, when you look at the world, when you and I look at the world, we don't automatically see something divine and godly. You and I see something, I don't know, you see it, independent from its source. So... Whereas before the sin, everything in the universe reflected per, uh, perfectly its purpose and creator. Post-sin, everything appears to be isolated, to be an island unto itself, to exist solely for self and not for purpose. Everything has a body and soul, not just people. And there's a rift in everything. 
there's a rift. Post-sin, there's a rift in everything. Where the thing itself does not look aligned, it does not look aligned with its purpose. And now, that's the world that we live in. So, for example, I'll give you an example. When we crave food, right? Or when we look at food, what do we see? Do we see the food itself? Something yummy, delicious, tempting, exotic? Or do we see something that holds divine energy and, 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 and the life-giving force as ordained by God? Do we see it as transparent to its source or do we see it as a thing unto itself? And the answer is most of the time, right? I'm sure present company, company excluded, but most people most of the time see food disconnected from purpose. And we see money disconnected from purpose. And we see vacation disconnected from purpose, right? Money we think of in selfish purposes. Vacation we think of as pure pleasure and enjoyment. We don't think necessarily that our first reaction is not, oh, this is something, a resource, money that I could use to help someone else out. Or this is something to recharge my batteries to continue to do the next big thing. We look at so life or the, the stuff around us seems to be separate from its, from its purpose from its core. And the point of all of this is that Adam and Eve threw everything out of alignment. Things were in alignment and things were clearly defined as to what they were. Everything was created by God for a purpose and everything shined that purpose. The moment Adam and Eve unplug, the moment they opt out, the moment they cho choose plan B, which is to go against God, is the moment that not only did they self-identify, but suddenly everything now has a new definition. And so herein lies our purpose in life. We talk about tikkun. We are essentially living, all of us, from that moment in time, have been living to fix that breach. And that's the, that's the totality of what we're here for, to fix the breach. And that means to engage in, this, in the world around us in a way that realigns creation with creator. That means eat, enjoy your food, and be mindful of its purpose. Make money and be mindful of its purpose. Go on vacation and be mindful of its purpose. It means consciously, intentionally, not by accident, intentionally engage in a way that overtly and obviously realigns the substance of creation with the purpose of creation, i.e. God. Be the one to realign, not only within ourselves, but within the world at large. Let's take a look at another text that says exactly this. And you'll see, hopefully this will, um, this will make sense. Text number nine. Uh, the reason God created the entire world and the human being in particular is because he desired a home in the lower realms. That is, God wished that the lower realms, namely the physicality of this world, should be subservient to and a vehicle for expressing God. That is huge. That line right there is huge. Make everything transparent to its source. The purpose of Torah and mitzvot is to effect this transformation. 
This is the reason why Torah and Mitzvot are performed with physical objects, by a soul vested in a physical body. Why? So I'll explain. Mm -hmm. The reason is because that's the only way to realign. If you don't engage in the physical, then how can you realign the physical with the spiritual? How can you realign the material with the purpose if you're not engaging with it? So that's why we have physical Torah and mitzvot. That's why we have mitzvot. Torah speaks about physical things. We do mitzvot with the physical body. Why? To align ourselves and the stuff that we touch with its purpose. And in doing so, what happens is we heal the breach. So, this is, this is our mission. Ever since Adam and Eve created the breach, we've been sing, singularly, something like that, focused on healing the breach. We're still not there yet because our bodies are still oftentimes doing their own thing. And we're engaged in the world and we look at the world as doing its own thing. Mashiach means it's obvious to us and when, when looking at the world, it's obvious that everything exists in perfect alignment and perfect harmony. Everything exists in parallel or in perfect transparency. Yes, that is the purpose of, the purpose of being. And that's what we're working on. And when we do that, what happens is, what happens is that we undo the consequence of the breach, which is death. Death is the consequence, we said before. Death is the natural consequence of the breach. If there's no breach, there's no death. If there's a breach, there's death. Heal the breach and undo death. This is also why everyone's coming back. Because who helped heal the breach? Who helped? Not just you and I. Everyone. Everyone who's existed before us, who's ever done a mitzvah, who's ever done something positive, and in that moment... They aligned physical with spiritual in that one fragment of space and time. They were part of the collective journey of healing the breach. And because they were involved and played a role, a critical role, in that healing the breach, they will be the beneficiaries of the result of the breach being healing. It's like each of us is contributing one piece to this building, one Peace to this puzzle. When it's done, we're all enjoying it together because we all built it. It's the, it's the home for God that we all built. So what? Only the last builders, only the last generation gets to enjoy the building, gets to enjoy the results? That's a chutzpah. What do you mean? What about all the people that came before you, before me? What about all the people that came before us that were part, that created bricks? I'm, I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here, I know, but... Whatever, building a home, bricks, right? So that's, that's the metaphor I'm using right now. If, 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 right, if, if the, um, I think of a good example. If you have a uh, hundred layers of bricks and you're building a wall, right? Only the people that laid the last row built the wall. No, everyone built the wall, right? So in this case, we're trying to take away a wall, right? The breach, we're trying to undo the breach. But everyone who's participated in that, everyone who's ever done something good, is coming back to enjoy the fruits of their labor. So it's not just reward. It's not just a simple thing like, oh, the soul gets rewarded, the body shall also get rewarded. Because that's, that's too simple, too simplistic. Then in five, ten years, a little reward and you're out again. No, 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 no. 
something's changing, something's shifting in the world itself. Getting back to that place of alignment is not just something to be rewarded for. It's, it's a cosmic, it's a, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a seismic shift in reality. It's going back to the way it was. Everything is in alignment. Death is automatically undone. Everything is plugged in purely to the source. Life is flowing through everything seamlessly. There's no interruption, no corrosion, right? No missed connections. It's all purely flowing through. So who enjoys it? Whoever participated in the building. So that's a little bit about the resurrection. And that's a little bit about the reason why the understanding, how the nature of it, why everyone's coming back, and how it relates to eternal life. So based on all of this, a very powerful idea emerges. And that is even though the notion of resurrection of the dead sounds like maybe a far-off, far-fetched, you know, future possibility or promise, it holds a tremendous lesson for how we live our lives today. Right now, you and I are called upon to live that reality, to make that the reality. In other words, to live life in a way where body and soul Matter and spirit, heaven and earth, are fused together. To live a life that is consistent with God, what God wants from us. That is consistent with God's intention in creating this whole thing in the beginning. In other words, not saying don't eat. Not saying don't go to work. But when you eat, think about the purpose. When you work, think about the purpose. When you vacation, think about the purpose. When you buy a home, Think about the purpose. Let me fill that one in because we didn't speak about that before. A home is a great place for a family to invite others over, to enjoy Shabbat. The moment we have that intention, everything is transformed because we're no longer living the breached life where this is what God wants, but this is what I'm doing. We're collapsing the divide. And now we're living true to intention, true to purpose. I want to conclude. Yeah. Isn't that the exact same Thing that we're supposed to do in order for our soul to, I mean, to um, fulfill all the sparks so that we can go to the afterlife and not be reincarnated. Yeah, yeah. Fulfilling the sparks means, yeah, essentially doing the mitzvah that we need to do, which means that it's part of it is to fulfill our, our purpose. But today's lesson is on an even deeper level because it's not just about us enjoying heaven. It's about reattaining the paradigm or the, um, the architecture of the universe as it was originally, which is a seamless architecture where everything was flowing smoothly. So human beings caused the breach and we still are living in the breach. When we heal this, not only are we attaining personal perfection, but we're healing it for the world. And that, brings, and that, and that creates eternal life. As it says in Isaiah, we, said, we read it before, God will wipe away or hide death. And, uh, and wipe away, sorry, God will remove death and wipe the tears from every face. Because that will be the natural consequence. Now, I want to conclude with a final message. There's a famous prophecy of Ezekiel, Yechezkel Anavi, where God takes him to the valley of dry bones. Right? God takes him to a valley of skeletons. And God says to Ezekiel, do you think I can make these dry bones alive once again? And Ezekiel wisely says, God, you could do whatever you want. And God's like, no, no, what do you think? He's like, 
sure, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you you can't, <laughs> then you're just showing me that you can't anyway, right? So, so there's, um, there's this dialogue, and then God basically brings these bones back to life. And I have it in your text, in your handout, text number 10. I don't want to read it inside right now. It's going to, I, I just want to get to the, to the point of why I'm mentioning it. We can look around the world today and we might become a little despondent by what we see. You know, the world seems like it's gone off the, off the, off the rails. People are mashuga, right? We might, it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're... It doesn't matter what side, if you're on a side or maybe you're not on a side, it doesn't matter. There's always something to look at and say, this is, this is crazy. This is Meshuggah. This is like, where are we and, and how did I get here? And the reality is that on some level, Ezekiel felt the same way. He lived in a world that he felt had gone mad. He felt the people weren't doing what they needed to be doing. He was very frustrated. And God's message to him was, Never lose hope. Never lose faith in the other, in the world. God says, do you think I can make these dry bones live once again? The answer is yes. Even dry bones can come back to life. Even something that seems hopeless beyond repair, it's, got, it's a lost cause. So maybe the world, maybe society, Maybe that other person that you're thinking of, lost cause. We write them off. Judaism tells us never write it off. It's never too far gone. There's always hope. There's always the possibility. It can always come back. Alive, better than ever. This is the inspiring message of the notion of the resurrection of the dead. We got into the nuts and bolts, where death came from, how it's healed, you know, Adam and Eve and the sin, all the stuff that we talked about before. But now I want to take a step back. The notion, this Jewish notion, that at some point in time, those that are gone will come back should give us a shot of inspiration as we live our lives right now. To not write off something as being hopeless, something as being too far gone, something being dead. There's always possibility. There's always hope. Never lose faith. And it's for ourselves as well. Sometimes a person might think, well, I didn't grow up this way. You know, talk about Torah and Mitzvot. I didn't grow up with it. So I, it's not going to happen. Oh, I'm going to become a scholar. I'm going to start studying Talmud. I'm going to start uh, studying Kabbalah. I'm going to start... Who am I? What am I? You know, if I had got... If, if I had grown up in a certain environment, in a certain family, went to certain schools, then, you know, am I going to do this and that mitzvah? If I, if I was trained or used to it, fine. But look, this is who I am. Don't throw in the towel. Never tell yourself you can't. Never give up hope. Always believe that you can, whatever it is, especially if it has to do with something positive like Torah and mitzvot. Valley of the Dry Bones teaches us the notion of the resurrection of the dead is it's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late. It's, oh yeah, I can't do that. You can't do that? Of course you can. The, one of the greatest Torah scholars of all time, Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest teachers of all time, 
Rabbi Akiva, same guy, right? Didn't learn, didn't know how to read Hebrew until he was the age of 40. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm more than 40. Doesn't matter. It's a, the point is the point, right? Don't get bogged down in the details, <laughs> right? If we tell ourselves we can't, then we won't. Tell yourself that you can, and you will. That's the enduring message in the here and now of the resurrection of the dead. It's never too late. It's never, as long as, I know I'm mixing, you know, future and present. Work, stick, stick with me. As long as we're still ticking, as long as we're still breathing, there's something else that we can accomplish, another mountain that we can climb. It's only when we tell ourselves that we can't, that then we won't. Never tell yourself that you can't. Never tell the other that they can't. Never look at this world or society as beyond fixing. Always hold out that hope. An imamin, I believe. I believe in a better time. And not some other better time, but a better time right now that you and I can make. So let's not give up. Let's not despair. Let's do everything we can to make this the world that God knows it can be and that our souls know it can be. So this brings us to the end of this course. But the good news is, it's not the end. <laughs> it's still very much the present. It's maybe the end of this series, but it's by no means the end. Throughout this course, throughout this series, we've learned a lot about death or what we call life after life. We talked about the eternality of the soul. We talked about heaven and hell, where the soul goes, reward, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we know this. We know that when it comes to death, all of the philosophy and all the teachings in the world don't take away the pain. And so I want to I make sure to acknowledge that at the end of our study, to, uh, this short series together, to acknowledge that pain is still pain, loss is still loss. When God taught Moses the laws of ritual purity and impurity, every time he taught him, every time God told Moses about something that renders a person impure, God immediately taught him how to get purified, with one exception. This is text 11, I'm paraphrasing. When God told Moses about the ritual impurity of death, God did not provide an antidote. And Moses says, so Nu, how do you heal? And God was silent, and Moses' face changed colors. It's only later on that God told Moses, taught Moses the laws of the red heifer, which is a complicated formula, a mysterious formula that renders one uh, pure. The question all the commentators ask on this medrash is, if God had an answer, the red heifer, why didn't he say it right away? Because it's not a technical question. It's a real question. It's an emotional question. How do we heal after loss? And God is silent. Because on some level, the loss never goes away. On a, on a very real level, the loss is a loss. And that loss remains. The hole doesn't really get filled. Later on, God says, bottom line, you mix the ashes with the water. You go from that place of loss, and you have to keep on living. But does the, does the pain ever truly go away? It doesn't. 
And so in the final analysis, the only true comfort when it comes to loss is what we spoke about today, the resurrection of the dead. The only true comfort for loss is bringing the loss back. That's the only true nechama. That's the only true comfort. Because what else are you going to say? Are you going to see them when you're in the afterlife as a soul? Yeah, but I want them now. I want, I, but I want, I want them now. And so what we wish each other is how much, I'm not going to say the, the wish because we only say that to a mourner, but we say something to the effect of we ask that God, we say a, a prayer that God should, should comfort the mourners. When we, when we visit someone in mourning, Jewish custom, Shiva, sitting Shiva mourning, so we, the, the typical, the traditional blessing or prayer wish is we wish them that uh, God should comfort them, the mourners, among the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Question is, why are we mentioning Zion and, Zion and Jerusalem? It means like Jerusalem and the temple that were destroyed. Why are we mixing sorrows? A person has an individual loss. Why are we mixing Zion and Jerusalem? Powerful explanation. Just like Zion and Jerusalem we believe will be rebuilt, so too we're saying to this person, our prayer is, and our our, our wish, and we're asking God is that God comfort you like He will bring comfort to Zion and Jerusalem. Not with words or platitudes, but with a rebuilding. And so we wish each other that, the, that may the mourners have the ultimate comfort, which is being reunited in body. Because in body, that's what we miss. We miss the other person's body. So all of the wonderful ideas we spoke about, where the soul is going and all that stuff, is all true. But the loss is still a loss, still a physical loss. The only way to fix that physical loss is with today's discussion about the resurrection of the dead. May it be God's will that very soon, why not even today, God should bring the ultimate healing for all of us. The coming of Mashiach, which is what we've all been waiting for. Even if a person doesn't call it Mashiach, ask anybody what they want for the world, any decent human being, and the way they describe the world, peace and harmony, resources, that's Mashiach. May we have Mashiach right away, immediately. And may God fulfill His promise to us and bring back those whom we've loved and lost. And let there be a reunion right here on our terms. And we can all make it happen by living a little bit more connected, a little bit more plugged in to our source, a little bit more aligned. Let's do our part in healing the world. And may God do His part and let us experience soon the time when our loved ones will come back once again. And let us say, Amen. This takes us to the end of today's session. I hope you enjoyed this series. I am very grateful that you have been with me over these last four weeks. But the learning continues. Although we have, we're closing out this conversation, I must mention I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm going to mention them very quickly. But I think you'll, you'll enjoy hearing about it. So number one, we have, I'm going to go a little out of order chronologically because I feel like things that are more aligned with this class, I'm going, to, I'm going to put priority. If you're into Jewish spirituality, I will be giving a course on Hebrew numerology. 
known as Gematria, a three-part series on numerology starting, let me pull up my calendar here. So I have not released this information yet. It's not on the website, no emails, no Facebook yet. It's, it's gonna happen soon. Starting Monday, August 10th. Monday, August 10th, 17th and 24th, three-part series on Hebrew numerology, save the dates. Starting on August 4th, which is Tuesday, for six weeks, we have the Jewish course of why. You might be asking why, and I'll say why not. It's basically your, the biggest, toughest, most engaging, interesting questions on Judaism. Anything relate from Jewish culture to biblical um, conversations and everything in the middle, the Jewish course of why starts on August 4th. We have on July 26th, out of order, I told you, Underground Secrets of the Temple Mount, the Jewish Indiana Jones. Jewish Indiana Jones, a, a renowned archaeological expert, specifically with Israeli archaeology, will be explaining, will take us through a visual tour of what has been found in recent years under Jerusalem and under the Temple Mount that reveals incredible secrets about the Jewish past and the Jewish future. So Underground Secrets of the Temple Mount is coming up soon. We have a Jewish poetry event. Poetry. All of this is online, by the way. Jewish poetry event. Renowned Jewish poet, Yeshua November. He will be, we have a date tentative, beginning of August. I'm not going to give you the date yet until it's confirmed, but look out for that. We have brewing a DIY Kabbalistic jewelry event. What I mean by that is you get stuff, you get the materials, gemstones, and you'll pick a palette based on various spherot that you feel aligned with. If you need more explanation, you'll get it as we roll this out. And then you'll be guided by an expert jeweler, jeweler, local jeweler, who will guide you in the process of creating a beautiful piece of jewelry for you or for a loved one if you don't wear necklaces. If you do, then it's for you. If it's not for you, then it's for someone else that you can give it to. Um, we are working on getting a live conversation on Zoom with a Holocaust survivor and author. She wrote the book called The Choice, Edith Eager. Anybody fam familiar with, uh, with the book The Choice? I see Ray, I see uh, maybe some others. Okay, she, she wrote a book called The Choice, absolutely incredible. She lives out in California. She, she, we, I've, we've been in touch with her and she's, she's, been, oh, she's open to, uh, to doing an event. So stay tuned for more information as we finalize details on that. And finally, the last point I wanna mention and I'll let you all go, uh, but not for long, don't worry, we're all gonna come back. Um, the last thing I wanna mention is every year we have our annual dinner. So last year we had a Callenwall Fine Arts Center and we have you know, a beautiful dinner and a speaker and a program. Look, things are a bit different. The goal is to do a dinner at home where you will be delivered a delicious, gourmet, catered dinner on the day of the dinner. We're gonna fan out. I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing that I'm gonna deliver it, but we're gonna have it fanned out. 
and brought to your home so you can have the dinner, IJ dinner, Intelligence Academy dinner at home, enjoying the, enjoying the, the meal and the program. I'm working on putting together a world-class event. Stay tuned. It's going to be, in my opinion, it's going to be incredible fun. Listen, if the conditions are such that we can't gather around a buffet table, no problem, but we're still going to have good food because nothing is stopping us from making this happen. That's the goal. We have a lot of, and, there, and this is only just a few of the upcoming things in the next six to, six to eight weeks. Um, there are more programs going on that, we're, that, that I'm working on. And of course, beyond that six day week period, we have more stuff. Stay tuned, stay connected. I value the time that you, that you share with me. And I hope you've, you've, you've enjoyed our time in this course together. And I look forward to seeing you soon. And of course, I should mention that I want to thank all of those that, that help us with sponsorships, um, whether it's a partial sponsorship or full sponsorship of courses and events. I appreciate you dearly. And I encourage everyone who appreciates these events, if you have the ability to, to help keep us going, to help support us, and to help bring Torah and inspiration and these, these teachings and experiences to the community. So thank you for your participation and partnership. And uh, I look forward to continuing together with you. Um, final point. I know I almost closed it out there. But one more thing. Um, the Rabbi Goes West. We're doing an online film screening. We started this morning. It's going till Friday morning at 10. I hadn't seen the film. I've heard about the film. I watched it today because I also got the link. So um, I got one for myself, uh, the, the, the link. I'm, I watched it today. It is fantastic. It's, it's, I, I, it, was, it was presented to me as being fantastic. I watched it. I know some of you watched it already and maybe at the film uh, festival a few months ago. If you haven't seen it, it's a treat. Even if you have seen it, it's still worth another watch because on Monday, Rabbi Brooke is gonna join us live on Zoom and he is, wow, he's fantastic. I, this is a documentary about a Chabad rabbi who goes to Montana. If you think it's all about like, rah, 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 Chabad, it gets very uncomfortable. There's a lot of opposition to this rabbi and a lot of criticism about Chabad in it. And Chabad is called a cult. There's a lot of stuff in it. Um, powerful. And, and this rabbi, I mean, I got it easy compared to this guy. He's under the gun. Like, really, really, really under the gun. And he addresses it all. And um, you can be the judge if you think, you know, what, it's because there's a few different sides presented. So you can, you can be the judge and enjoy it for yourself. And uh, we'll talk about it Monday night. So if you, if you need the link, let me know. You can RSVP online. And it's free. Suggest a donation if you can. If you can do it, $10. If you can help sponsor it, that would be helpful. But it's there. The link, is, uh, the link is, is available. I need to send it to you. It's got a password on it. And, uh, and enjoy. Okay, that's it. That, now, now for sure that's it for me. Thank you again, and uh, have a wonderful night. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay happy, stay positive, stay powerful, stay spiritual. We'll see you soon. Bye, all. Pleasure, pleasure. We'll see you soon. My pleasure. We'll see you all. Take care, everybody.